Hi, welcome to our podcast on Thomas Merton's ideas about race and the civil rights movement. I'm, I'm Kristen O'Toole, student at Bellarmine U- University, and today we will be interviewing the director of the Thomas Merton Center and the director of identity and inclusion at Bellarmine University. We are going to compare and contrast their thoughts on Merton's letters to a white liberal. And now we're here with Dr. Paul Pearson, the director of the Merton Center. The first question is, do you agree with Mern's thoughts on race in the letters to a white liberal? Yes, yeah, no, I think he's very perceptive there, that um, he gets right to the heart of issues which, you know, are still with us today, um, and that a lot of people just don't recognize. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think Merton's ideas apply today? I think I've just answered that. <laughs> yeah, yes. You know, I think, again, they're largely being ignored. Um, you know, if you, if, you, if you just go into the reading room, there's not a single book in there about Merton and race or a dissertation about it. We've got about a, a hundred on Merton and War and Peace. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an area people don't like to, to get into. Mm-hmm. How do you apply Merton's thoughts on race to your everyday life, if you do? Um, well, I think it was my everyday life that got me interested in his writings on race. Um, I don't think I'd paid any attention to them myself before I moved to the States. I moved here from London, England. Mm-hmm. And I was just amazed how segregated everywhere still is. That you know, we bought a house, the whole neighborhood is white. Yeah. You know, my daughter started a, a Catholic school and she was the odd one out in her class because she had an accent, not because of color. And f- somehow from that, I discovered Merton's writings on race. Do you think Merton's ideas affect our overall society today? I think they should do, but they're not. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, if anything, under the current current administration it seems to be going backwards rather than forwards mm-hmm. um, and you know I think a lot of what Merton says about race you know would also be equally applicable to areas to do with immigration and gay rights and, and other areas too. Do you think Merton living as a hermit shapes his ideas and thoughts on race and the civil rights? Well no I think Merton's thinking on that was already developed. Um, you know, I think possibly being a hermit, you know, allowed him to, th- to continue thinking deeply on those issues. Um, but, you know, he was certainly aware of them even before he joined the monastery um, from the time that he worked in Harlem, talks about in the Seven Story Mountain, and he was aware of issues in the, the ghettos and things then. So, yeah, I don't think being a hermit brought any major changes. What do you think about Martin's point on how the church is guilty? Oh, in this specific... How is that not it? Oh, and also in the... Yeah, it was two different questions. That's okay. Well, I, you know, um, I don't know if any of you were came to last year's Merton Black History Month lecture. We had a, an American... African-American Catholic bishop, um, Bishop Braxton, and he had some quite 
pertinent points to say about the Catholic Church and, and racism um, that there's been a, a document recently on the Catholic Church and racism in the States but that was the first document in 40 years mm. you know the church just hasn't said things on that issue and that when it does and even in this more recent document that it still takes a very much a us and them attitude um, not just all of us somehow you know it's being racist actually in the way that it writes the the document on racism um, and, and he said you know he made allusions to things like the number of african-american catholic priests in the states that it's a very small number and it's decreasing um, and that as a rule african-americans just don't feel accepted within the catholic church that wherever they go the role models are white whether it's in the, the images of the saints of Christ or you know the people working in the church mm -hmm. yeah. and the last question is in the letters to a white liberal Merton quotes Pope Paul if the church were to discover some shadow some defect some stain upon her wedding garment what should be her instinctive courageous reaction there can be no doubt that her primary duty would be to reform correct and set herself aright in conformity with her divine model what do you think about this quote? Um, we have it right here. Okay, too, good. You know, yeah, it's, quite, it again. <laughs> it's quite a long one. <laughs> well, look at the church on sexual abuse. <laughs> um, you know, it's taken it a long time to, to really begin moving on that. And, um, you know, and I think certainly within the States, it's the same, you know, on issues like this, that only when it gets to a certain stage just does the church really seem to think you know that it, it's forced to change otherwise it just seems to, to want to keep the status quo um, and yeah it's got a long way to go in the state still you know whereas I think the wider Catholic Church can often be quite different you know somehow the the US Catholic bishops have always been a, pretty much on the kind of conservative side of the church um, and you know I think we still see that kind of conflict between what's going on in Rome and what the, the Catholic Church in the States does yeah I think does that answer you yeah yes mm -hmm. yeah because okay well thank you so much I need to reread this because it's, it's a good quote that yeah <laughs> thank you thank Great. you so much it's for okay. giving your time that's okay you're welcome I need to write anything down. I doubt I will, but yeah. Okay. Um, the first question is, do you agree with Merton's thoughts on race in the letters to a white liberal? Yeah, I, I think it's pretty accurate. Okay. Yeah. Y'all let me know if I need me to elaborate more, but yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, do you think Merton's ideas apply today? Yeah, so I think they definitely apply today. Um, I think the biggest piece in what Merton's getting at is this idea around conviction um, and what that looks like. It's funny because the text conversation I was having before this was very similar to some of this. Okay. Um, but really looking at, um, I think today when people think about liberals in the stereotypical context, it's mm -hmm. you know social justice warriors, that kind of thing. And... Um, I think that 
you know, I think there's good to that. And I think a lot of social justice warriors, in a positive sense, you know, using that term, have um, very good ideas and what they want to do um, and being idealistic. But I don't think that folks take the full time to think out what they're actually advocating for all the way. Um, right. So I think in a couple of different contexts, even in today, there's different things that are being advocated for that people may not understand the full implications of what they're asking. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. How do you apply Merton's thoughts on race to your everyday life if you do? Mm. Well, so I think <clears throat> it's a little bit different um, in applying Merton's, I guess, all his philosophies and stuff of race to a black person mm-hmm. uh, just because, you know, that's in at least in this context, he's talking about the lived experience of black folk and what that looks like, right? So, um, in acknowledging that his piece is mostly uh, calling out um, what we would consider allies in this work, um, this is going to look a little bit different, right? Um, I think the biggest piece, again, comes around that conviction and what does that look like for... Um, all of us and myself included um, as far as being an ally and an advocate in different spaces and then how far are you really willing to go to be a part of that and then again did you think about all the different uh, consequences or things that would come along with what it is you're advocating for right. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. especially in this office too right? right so yeah do you think Martin's ideas affect our society today yes Um, yeah yeah, I mean I think it it directly relates again um, just in the whole social justice realm and politics and what all we're we're pushing for um, even outside of race right Um, it's kind of dicey to go there at a a private Catholic institution but even thinking about things like um, uh, Planned Parenthood right Mm -hmm. and like uh, folks who are vehemently against you know uh that institution but maybe not acknowledging the other services that are provided through Planned Parenthood outside of abortion and so what would that mean in shutting down those offices when it comes to affordable STD testing and you know all those kind of things and other things that they offer but taking that out of the hands of the community that may not be able to afford going to a private doctor and that kind of stuff so I think in maybe every political context that what he's saying can be applied in a different way outside of just the race dynamic. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think Martin living as a hermit shapes his ideas or thoughts on race and the civil rights? Mm. Yes. And I can see it happening in different ways, I guess, because when you're a hermit, I mean, you're not actually out here a part of everything in a way you could be versus living off on your own. But at the same time, in living off on your own, I think from the philosopher's side, it gives you a lot of time to think and contemplate. Mm-hmm. So, and that may be one of the big pieces that pushed him this far and that, yeah, you're by yourself thinking. So, yeah, he went down all those different rabbit holes that we may not consider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, what do you think Martin's point on how on how the church is guilty. What do you think about his point? Like, he talks about how he thinks the church is just as guilty as a white liberal. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I, mean, I think that's 100% accurate. Um, 
And I mean, that's even thinking about my religious experience. And I'm, the, I'm no longer a member of the church that I grew up in. Um, but thinking about a lot of the stuff that Christians preach when it comes to like loving your neighbor and mm-hmm. I mean even what would Jesus do you know all that kind of stuff and then okay so to what degree are we obligated as Christians to be doing something in all these different issues right so um, thinking about the church I grew up in that was really anti-LGBTQ homophobic um, and granted you know your religious views on salvation are one thing but I don't think that justifies like the church staying silent when we see uh, trans men and women being like killed and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like I would still think that, yeah, the church should still have a role for the person, even if it's against their religious views um, about like the person's. I hate saying lifestyle, but that's the easiest mm-hmm. way to say it. Um, so, and then even thinking about back then, right, where you have segregation being legal, right? Even the church is being segregated. Um, When you have people like the KKK who have religious paraphernalia as a part of their organization, um, and yeah, basically just being complicit in the whole Jim Crow system, yeah, it doesn't really seem too Christianly. So yeah, yeah, I think he uh, is hitting the nail on the head there too. And you know, what is our role as Christians to be doing stuff outside of saying, well, I'll pray for that person, right? Right. You know, I mean, there's power in prayer, but you could have gave that homeless person some money instead of just Mm -hmm. praying for them, and something seems kind of wrong with that. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, and then our last question has to do with a quote from Letters to a White Liberal. Okay. So, um, he quotes Pope Paul, if the church were to discover some shadow, some defect, some stain upon her wedding garment, what should be her instinctive, courageous reaction? There can be no doubt that her primary duty would be to reform, correct, and set herself aright in conformity with her divine model. What do you think about this quote? Mm. Yeah, um, I think it's kind of hard for me in looking at this quote as Mm -hmm. someone who is, I guess, religiously searching in Mm -hmm. in a sense, right? Um, Because I want to agree with what Martin's saying, but I feel like in practice that hasn't been the case historically. Um, That, you know, even outside of the U.S. and looking at what different missionaries have done in different places, uh, all the different holy wars... um, you know the what inquisition and all that stuff of the catholic church and european times like i don't there's always been stains and i don't think it was ever quick to actually fix those so mm-hmm. like yeah in theory like i would think that the church would you know be trying to do that but i feel right. like historically we know that that hasn't been the case in any way shape or form and i think different churches are trying to do better now but then it's like, you know, so maybe if Merton's being specific about, I don't know, maybe a religious sect in general, I don't know. Because, okay. again, right, like, even the church that I grew up in that still goes strong today, um, they would be one of the folks being called out in this uh, in this thing. So, right. yeah. yeah, yeah. In theory, Merton, I, I'm with you. <laughs> in practice, nah, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's all we have for you. Awesome. Well, thank you that, so that much. Helps the project. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank no you. Problem. 
And what's your names? I'm Abby. Abby. I'm Megan. Cool. It was nice to meet you both. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Have a good day. Yeah, take care. stop it. Next, we are talking with Joseph Frazier, the director of the Office of Identity and Inclusion. Coming back together as a group, we're now going to discuss the interviews and our own individual thoughts on Merton's ideas about race in the civil rights movement. Okay, so what do we think about their idea on um, Thomas Merton today and how he's relevant with his thoughts on race and the civil rights? Because, I mean, they kind of talked about how they thought that they were still relevant, but nothing's been done. Yeah, no action is being taken. Like, his thoughts are good on it. The, Joseph talked about that a lot. That his Yeah, how people nowadays know that there are problems, know that there are issues, but they are hesitant to really actually step forward and admit to doing something because, like, he talked about in a letter to a white liberal, um, many people are, are kind of concerned with the with change and how like equality for all will change the way things have been because things have been kind of stagnant and like they there was this huge movement for equality back in the fifties and sixties, but now it's like there's still there's more issues when it comes to LGBTQ rights, mm-hmm. women's rights, mm-hmm. even uh, rights with um, other races. But um, <laughs> cut that out. Yeah, I feel like it kind of like leads to how like the church is guilty question kind of mm-hmm. because like everyone mm-hmm. will everyone knows these are issues today, but no one mm-hmm. wants to fix. Them. Like yeah. people want to fix them, yeah. but like no one takes the action to fix yeah, them. And the no church writing. And, no and the church doesn't want to because the church yeah. is more of an institution than it is like. At least, from what I get from it, is that the church is an institution, um, and it's it's it thinks of itself as so great, so like powerful, so right, mm-hmm. and like admitting any kind of wrongdoing, whether it's about racial injustice or other types of injustice injustices. I don't know what the word is. I'll, other types of injustices that have been witnessed throughout the church's history. They don't want to admit that there was any actual wrongdoing and try to correct it because it mm-hmm. it means admitting that they're wrong. Right. Like they and can, that lessens their greatness. Yeah. Right. Like they talk about, you know, all these things that are right and wrong, mm-hmm. but then they kind of just don't act on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just kind of talk about it and nothing's really being done about it. Yeah, which is like... And they always talk about like being loving your neighbor and everything but like then they don't accept certain people Mm -hmm. into their lives Mm -hmm. Um. so they talked about um, we asked them about how Merton living as a hermit if that kind of affected his his ideas and viewpoints on things on race and the civil rights and um I mean, in my opinion, I don't think it had too much of a, an effect on it because, yeah, he was living in a hermitage, but he was still very aware of the issues in the world. Right. And yes, he wasn't witnessing them firsthand. Like, he wasn't marching or, right. you know, mm-hmm. seeing the revolts and the, and, the, and the brutality being forced on 
um, the African Americans, but he knew they were wrong, knew that it was awful, and he did the right thing in a, from what he could do, and he wrote about it, spoke up about it, right. when most Trappist monks would not. Yeah. I kind of think yes and no, because, like, like, I agree with both of the people that we interviewed, because, yes, he already had certain ideas mm-hmm. and his opinions on them before, but being in the Hermitage, he then was able to contemplate mm-hmm. on it and think about, like, what really could be done mm-hmm. for it and, like, brought in, or, like, develop his ideas on yeah, it. Yeah, like, he could kind of look at the big picture from a different standpoint, like, not living within it, so he could kind of look at it. On the outside. Yeah, on the outside, looking yeah. in. So he kind of knew, like, what the issues were and where. And then, um, but, you know, at the same time, all he really could do was write about it, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. living as a monk or a hermit, he couldn't. And I definitely think do. that his life, had it not been cut short in the way it was, Mm-hmm. On his trip to Thailand, was that right? I think it was right. Okay. On his trip, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna rewrite that. Okay. And I think. <laughs> okay. I just wanna see how much time. What? I was waiting for. And I think that um, had Merton's life not been cut short as it had been, in the tragic accident, um, he would have gone out into the world and come back and brought what he had learned, or even saw. Or seen, and then he would have done more yeah. with the civil rights movement. I mean, like he would have taken, he could have done yeah, more, yeah. yeah, more action and stuff. Yeah, he would have probably been a leader in for for white Christians. I don't know. Right, that sounds really bad. Okay, <laughs> he could have been a leader for people in this movement, or even in like you know accepting in the in the in the in the search for, in the. I don't know. <laughs> he could have. I think if he had come back, a social he, justice leader. Yeah, he would have. Yeah, I think if he would have come, he he his life wouldn't have been cut short. He would have been one of the great social justice leaders of our of the time. Yeah. Yeah. One thing and, I thought was interesting yeah. that um, <coughs> Joseph mentioned. He just said he was social justice warrior, and like these people realize like they want to help and they want to do better, but they're not like fully aware of everything that they're doing like they will go to these different countries and stuff when there's actually poverty in their own city and they don't realize that like Mm -hmm. you should take action in your Mm -hmm. own city before going halfway across the world I don't know if that's exactly what he's trying to get at but like yeah yeah, that's kind of how I took it and it kind of goes to the fact that people don't realize that not doing anything or like start with yourself yeah like something yeah like it's if they think it's somehow it's greater to go help another country, but like it's happening in your own backyard, mm-hmm. it's happening in your city, right. and it's, like there's so much poverty. Yes, it's one of in one of my other classes. Like it's one of the top two or whatever most poverty cities in the United States. Right. So if everybody just took a little bit of yeah. action, then mm-hmm. make a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that kind of talks about like they both said in their interviews that. Um, we have a long way to go, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. until things change. Until the proper action is yeah. going to happen. So I think that's accurate. Yeah, because 
everybody just seems to talk about. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. more talk than there is action. Yeah, that's yeah. The, what it comes down to. Yeah. Because it, it goes back to, like, what was said in Merton's letters, the fact that people are hesitant to change because mm-hmm. they're okay with change as long as it doesn't affect them outright. Right. But the thing is, though, change can't happen if it doesn't affect you because then you're mm-hmm. not changing. You're just, like, changing one part of the world. That's not how it works. Yeah. So. yeah. Well... Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for listening to our Thomas Merton podcast. We'd like to end it with this inspiring quote Thomas Merton said, which is, The beginning of love is the will to let those we love be perfectly themselves, the resolution not to twist them to fit our own image. Thank you. Hold on. You can cut that out. Peace out.